This hour is being brought to you by BarbecueAuthority.com, Chicagoland's number one barbecue shop. Ray, let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Russell Dorsey, national MLB insider for Bally Sports and Stadium. President Jed Hoyer always talks about you know who's going to be a part of that next great Cubs team. They think Seiya Suzuki is going to be a big part of that. A guy who is really turned into a stud and could likely be an MVP candidate, Luis Robert, has all the tools, the power, the speed. Host of the Rally on Bally Sports. If you could ban something from sports for 10 years, what would it be? I would say the wave. It's a bit too much. Co-host of the Sports Adjacent Podcast. I don't let it get to that point where I have a thousand unread emails. I have 277 right now. You have bodies in your house, bro. Russell Dorsey. What's up, Russell? With Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. The We love that Russ makes time for us because he's a busy young man. He's on ballys. He's on stadium. He's gallivanting around the world doing his thing. He joins me on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Hey, Russ. What's going on, Lawrence? How are you? Man, I'm doing great. I was listening to Sports Adjacent yesterday on on my walk run uh, around Hyde Park. I did not know that you were very particular about the, the choices that people make when they walk into your house. Well, here's my thing, Lawrence. Like, I think everybody knows everybody's different, right? And what your home etiquette is. Some people are like, I don't care if you have shoes on in the house. Uh, Other people are like, please take your shoes off when you come to the house. To me, I like a shoes-free environment in my home. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. Um, But it it is more the outside clothes on the bed that I, I am a big stickler on because Listen, you can't sit on my bed if you've been sitting on the L. I'm sorry. Okay, so look, I, I'm not trying to blow up your spot because... It, if you're going to say what Jason says and call it a move, you're incorrect, sir. No, I don't think that it was a move. My okay. thing is that that rule of yours is very specific because the amount of people that one would have sitting on one's bed... It's a very that's a very niche rule of yours that seems to really only affect people that make it to the bedroom, so to speak. I guess, but I'm not even wearing jeans and sitting on my bed, right? Like I have, I'll put some joggers on or some shorts on, because like sometimes I'll sit on my bed and like work. Um, or whatever. Right, and, like, it's, and it's not... your bed, so th- that's right. totally okay. I, right. All I'm saying is that you seem befuddled when your partners in crime on the Sports Adjacent podcast clap back, and they were saying, Russ, this is a very specific thing that you're doing because most people don't hang out in other people's bedrooms. I get it, but I just had to push back because Jason thinks everything I do is a move, and it is not. That's, and I was like, I just have to defend myself here. Like, I know as a Chicagoan, the L is a part of our uh, Chicago culture. However, I have seen some things, some germs on the L that I don't want in my home. Yes, so I'm you, saying, I, again, look. you are entitled, Russ. I am with you. You are entitled to that opinion. 
All I'm saying is that that is a small percentage of the people, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a small percentage of the people that come to your home. I, I mean, Tony and Jason have, have both been to my house. Neither mm-hmm. one of them has been to the bedroom. You see where I I'm get, going with I, this? I get it. I get it. Just say it. I let people it's wear shoes. Move. It's, it's a, not a move for everybody out there. I, Russ, I, don't care I, what Jason I am not saying that this is a move. <laughs> I would not disrespect Listen, you like that. Insane. This is the same platform and program where people call me Jerry Russ. So I just have to put things out there. <laughs> well, maybe it is a move now that I think about it. See? He, he See? is Jerry Russ. No, he's not. He's a, he's a good man and thorough. I'm a shoes on guy. I allow, I'm like, I'll just clean up. I'm cleaning up afterwards anyway. So people, if you want to take your shoes off, you're more than welcome to do so. But I do think that that, that there are plenty of people that have the hesitancy of taking their shoes off because they feet stink. I I get that. Um, Change your socks. Uh, (laughs) Clean your your shoes. I'm not ashamed that you want a pair of socks. I got a pair of socks. Just keep them. Um, I think it's more now. We we live in an era of more, you know, uh, tile, laminate flooring, mm-hmm. and less carpet. Yes. So I guess the shoes off thing is a lot more. Uh, you know, it, it's probably dialed down a lot from when we were kids, and you had like in my parents' house they had carpet, so we didn't have shoes on in the house like that. So it, it's probably just the in era thing. Now. I, I'm all about respecting whatever it, the the host's rules are. So if you say when I finally get a chance to come to the new palatial estate. Um, to take the shoes off, I'm totally going to take the shoes off without any problem. I'm just, cool. I'm just saying that I was, I was a little surprised that you offered up the people can't sit on my bed with the clothes that they came to my house in on because it, it kind of feels like a move. <sighs> and Do you and, have baseball things, Lawrence. And for the record, it's I a, feel cornered. It's a great move. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, goodness. did you watch the White Sox game last night, Russ? I did. I did. What'd you think? That was a. I was not of all the things that I was expecting to happen in a game for the White Sox after the weekend they had in New York. I wasn't expecting immediate blowout by the Red Sox. No, no, you you don't expect that, especially with your dude or the guy that's been your dude on the mound in Dylan Cease. It it, it happens like over the course of one sixty two. You're going to get your butt kicked some night, and that's what happened to the Sox. I do say, I think uh, the Boston Red Sox were a team that you look on paper when the season started, and you're like, okay, this is a really good team. And you have Rafael Devers, who I think is one of the best players in the big league. You bring in uh, Trevor Story to play with Xander Bogarts and J.D. Martinez and Enrique Hernandez, and you're like, okay, this is a, this is a really good team. And they just hadn't played like it. And so – Story's gotten hot. He's hitting a homer every other night, it seems like, and the the, the White Sox just caught him uh, in the middle of this stretch. So I wouldn't be concerned, concerned. It's going to happen over 162. When I went up and down the White Sox lineup from last night, I, I went batting average and OPS, and it's yeah. not a good lineup when you look at it statistically. How much faith do you have that some of these things are going to course correct for the White Sox offense? All right, I've been thinking about this since the last time I was on with you, and I wanted to ask you this question, and then I will answer yours. Okay. Do you think the White Sox are a good team? 
No, I think that the White Sox, I honestly think that they're an average team with above average talent. I am exactly with you. That's what I was going to say. I, I look at the teams uh, that would be ahead of them. You, I don't think they're anywhere close to being what the Yankees are. The Astros, the team that beat them in the ALDS last year, are still better than the White Sox. You look at the Twins and what they've been able to do. I think they're better than the White Sox. The Angels, the Rays, Toronto, if Boston gets right, they're right there with you. And they're kind of now that seventh or eighth or ninth best team in the American League. I would, we're almost at Memorial Day, and that's like we always talk about, that's when teams look around and say, all right, what team are we like? How good are we? What additions do we need to make? And I look at the White Sox, and it's like, all right, if Jose Abreu starting to swing the bat a little bit better, but are we, are, are we, do we think we're better than we actually are? And they just, there's, you can poke a lot of holes in the White Sox right now. And I think that might be the issue where it's like, okay, you don't have an everyday right fielder. You have guys that are hurt. Um, Michael Kopech has been fantastic, but what is the back-end situation with your rotation? Like, You can't just put it on Cease, Kopech, Gilito, whenever Lynn comes back. Your bullpen that you spend a lot of money on is okay. Like, There's a lot of areas where you're just like, this is still a question mark when you thought you had it figured out. And that's how I look at the White Sox right now. Do I think there's going to be a two- or three-week stretch where they look like the best team in baseball? Yeah, because like you talked about, that's the talent that they have. But I, I do think it is a – I think we talked about this before the season started or on opening week. It's a flawed roster. Mm-hmm. And so you're starting to see some of those flaws play out, even though you still have Tim Anderson looking like one of the best players in baseball and Luis Robert – uh, and Yoan Mankata, who is trying to figure, find his way after coming out strong, after coming off the IL. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're seeing a flawed roster trying to figure itself out. I, I wonder what, what Rick Hahn truly sees when he looks at it. And he, he had given a couple quotes to Scott Merkin on WhiteSox.com about the, the trade deadline because fans were asking Scott about all of that. I wonder how he looks at this roster and if he would be willing to make fundamental changes to the way that the team is comprised instead of like tinkering around the margins on it. They like, how long have we said the white Sox have been a team of free swingers, Lawrence? Like it seems like for the better part of a decade. And that is one of those fundamental things. And when you have a team that, you know, your free swingers, like, it's harder to get on base. Then you're having to hit on base. And as we know in baseball, like, you're going to have times and go through stretches where you're not swinging the bat like you want to. Baseball's hard. And so you have to be able to draw walks and, and, and move base runners without hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Now, I'm one of those people that say, listen, the teams that usually hit the most homers are the teams that usually have the most success. That's true, and you can find those numbers. At the same time, you're not going to win uh, every game by hitting three-run homers or hitting two-run homers or, or hitting five solo shots in a game. So I, I do think there is something that they have to figure out because they have the talent to do it. They have the talent to, to go out there and score five, six runs a game, but you just look up, there's too many nights where they win two to one or they lose to three to two. Uh, and, and that's something over 162, like you're going to wear down. 
both your rotation that has already been kind of depleted to start the season and your bullpen that has already shown like they have uh, they've been shaky as of late. So uh, it, it's something where one thing affects multiple other things that don't even have to do with that. Russ, this has been a topic multiple weeks that, that you've been on with us, which is great because uh, we love having you on once a week to talk about what's going on with, with Michael Kopech. Watching him Sunday night felt like, I'm sure that the White Sox felt a lot of validation because of the way that they've handled Kopech, the way that he's responded to being in the bullpen, even though he, he's got a, a, a starter's repertoire of pitches and mentality. Seeing him against the Yankees lineup, seeing him on Sunday Night Baseball dominate the way that he did, I'm sure had to feel great for everyone over there. Absolutely. And I tweeted during the game, like, there's been, they haven't had a ton go right for them as far as player development goes, but watching Michael Kopech go from guy that you liked, but you didn't actually know what his role was, to being a bona fide frontline starter this season after, what, eight starts, that's that's a big deal. And when you, it comes to planning out your moves, you can go into you know a trade deadline if you're still contending at that point and say, okay, we have Lucas Giolito. Hopefully by that time you have Lance Lynn, you have Dylan Cease, you have Michael Kobeck. You have four really good starters where you don't have to worry, do we need to go get an arm at the trade deadline? You can just focus on other deficiencies that you have. So that's a really big deal. It's a win for the White Sox if he can continue to stay at this level. But you're, you're seeing a guy that is confident in his stuff you're seeing a guy that knows that okay i don't have to blow a guy away i can you know work backwards in account like i can work backwards in a bat like maybe i don't show him everything everything the first time through this order and i can come back with my breaking stuff in the second and third at bat like this is a guy that you can see and quantify that he is clearly getting better every time how do you think Major League Baseball did in handling what happened between Tim Anderson and Josh Donaldson? Oh, that is a, that's a question, Lawrence. I, I'm going to say this. I think the suspension was you, – you, they couldn't let that go without some type of punishment for Josh Donaldson. I, I think too many times that I've talked about it, do I feel like Jackie Robinson's legacy uh, is for show? And in this situation, you have a guy that used it in a mocking way uh, at an African-American player. To me, if you're Major League Baseball, you have to show that player that this will not be tolerated. You have to show other people that this will not be tolerated. And you come down with a five, ten-game suspension on a guy, you don't get to talk to people like this. That gets players' attention. But if you give him one-game suspension, he appeals, he doesn't have to serve it. Like, what does this say? What keeps somebody else from saying something like this at another point? Um, I think you've heard from, you know, Aaron Boone, you heard from Aaron Judge, like, yo, this wasn't the right thing. And it, it just it feels like, and too many times, things fall on deaf ears. Like, I remember talking to a couple of uh, African-American players uh, during the 2020 season and after when it was, um, and even in 2021, when it was, you know, you had, you had the whole thing where players were um, holding the rope on opening day and, you know, people were doing the whole, you know, listening and learning thing. And w- what, what have you learned? 
if we continue to have situations like this. And I think something that you could easily be discouraged by is the things that have come out that came out after that incident where you have people saying, oh, yeah, Tim Anderson, he's just race baiting and it's always about the race card with him and he shouldn't have called himself Jackie Robinson, which is not what he said. Um, All those different things, it makes you, it discourages you. Um, And I think there's a lot of things in our society for African-Americans specifically, but people of color at large where it's like, why does my, why do I have to always validate my hurt to you? And it felt like in this situation, it one, you look at Tim Anderson, it, it's a guy that looked exhausted trying to explain this. And that's oftentimes how we feel as black people in our country. But at the same time, why do I have to explain to you why something hurt me? It's not about what your intent was. The impact is more important. And with the intent, considering his history, Correct. you know, like we, Correct. Russ, both of us talked to people from all over baseball. And the rep for Josh Donaldson before this, when it came to matters of race, was not hot. So now, like when you add this to it, it it, it, it paints quite the mosaic of a player that a lot of people don't like. Yeah, I, I just uh the the fact that you did not hear all this oh, well, Josh wouldn't do this and that, and like that, that's deafening, right? The fact that you've had his manager come out and say, that's not, that's not the right thing. Um, I think that, that speaks very loudly, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's sad. I think to me the whole situation is sad that you have to have a guy saying, I I wasn't even messing with anybody and this person comes over and says this to me and it's happened now multiple times where TA said this happened in 2019. And I told him, look, we, if you're going to talk to me like that, we never have to speak ever. And you would think that that would be enough, but it's not because that's, that's who Josh Donaldson is. And I'm glad that, that Tim's teammates and his manager, quite honestly, stood up for him. And, and I'm, I'm glad that there were at least people that maybe weren't on notice on the type of guy that Josh Donaldson is now are on notice on the type of guy that Josh Donaldson is. Russ, as always, I appreciate it. Uh, stay being you, man. Like, don't let anyone change you. You don't want people to, to, to have shoes on in your place or have their dirty CTA clothes on your bed. You are more with well within your rights, sir. Jeez. Uh, Lawrence, can I plug Sports Adjacent real quick? Of course you can. All right. On Thursday, new episode of Sports Adjacent is dropping. Uh, the one and only Herb Howard from It's the Big Beat Reporter over there will be joining the show. And, Lawrence, you know Herb. You, you know how it's going to be. I think it's going to be awesome. I it really, is. really do. Russ, have a good week, sir. Thanks, Lawrence. I appreciate it. That's Russ Dorsey. Check him out on Stadium and on Bally's. He does a great job of covering baseball. I'm about to take a left turn on this show. We have been primarily talking about baseball. I mentioned it yesterday. James Naveau was available. I'm about to do that hockey. And and I thought about something last night as I'm watching Uncle Auntie Ranta. I'm going to ask James this question, and you can ponder it as well. Is there one Blackhawks move that you can undo from the last five years, maybe 10 years, what would it be? I'm going to ask James about that and about the Stanley Cup playoffs next here on The Score. As they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. 
Lawrence Holmes. Noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score. And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. Outlet it to Nugent Hopkins. Saucers one off the right wall to Hyman. Yamamoto sweeps it behind the net. Yamamoto. High slot. Shot by Barry. Save made. The rebound. Score! Nugent Hopkins on the rebound. Gives the Oilers the lead with three and a half to go. That particular series between Edmonton and Calgary has been pretty crazy. Edmonton with a 5-3 win last night against Calgary, and they lead that series three games to one. Colorado leads their series with St. Louis three games to one. Rangers and Hurricanes are tied at two. There's so much to discuss around hockey. The Lightning have moved on, by the way, because they're the Lightning, and they're really good. I love talking hockey with James Naveau. I actually really like talking baseball with him, too. He can kind of do a lot of different things, and he does for NBC Chicago, and occasionally he pops up on the Blackhawks Talk podcast on NBCSportsChicago.com. What's up, Naveau? How are you? What's up, Lawrence? Long time no see, buddy. It's good to talk to you. It's good to talk with you, too. He joins us on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline, Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Before we talk about the NHL at large, and there's a question, a chicken and the egg question I want to ask you about. I wanted to ask you this because I was thinking about it last night. I saw last week a three-point game from Duncan Keith. I've seen Tavo Teravainen. I've seen Uncle Auntie Ranta out there doing (laughs) their things inside of the playoffs. I'm going to allow you one transaction to be reversed over the last decade of Blackhawks hockey, what would that one transaction be? Oh, geez, the last decade. I mean, where do we even start? We could uh, void the Brent Seabrook contract, which kind of hamstrung the Blackhawks from a salary cap perspective. We could reverse the Philip Deneau trade. He's gone on to have a really good career uh, in a couple different places, including with the Kings this season. We could draft Bowen Byram over Kirby Dock instead of in the uh, 2019 draft. I think that out of all of those, though, I think the one trade I would probably undo if I were the Blackhawks would be that deal that sent Tabo Teravainen to the Carolina Hurricanes. It essentially did very little uh, for the Blackhawks. They did manage to clear $4 million in cap space from the Brian Bickle contract, but when you look at the player that Tavo Teravainen has blossomed into and the fact that the Blackhawks have always seemingly been one or two really talented top six scoring forwards away from being competitive in the last few years, maybe not necessarily this season, but in the recent past, I think that that deal ultimately is probably the one that I would undo because Tavo would have been a really good boost in the arm for the 2016 for the 2017 Chicago Blackhawks. Okay, fair enough. I I was thinking about it, and I was wondering what it would be, and now we have an idea of what you think as someone who has been around this team and knows about the league. So I'm glad that you shared that with me. Now I want to ask you about the, the chicken and egg question. Watching hockey this year has been different. They've got the TNT contract. They're back on ESPN. Has the popularity of hockey, is it because they're on ESPN or is there a popularity 
that's been growing, and now people can look and say, see, hockey's great. It's a good thing that it's back on ESPN. I think the whole idea for the NHL and entering into this agreement with ESPN was just to kind of maximize the number of not only eyeballs that could potentially be focused on its products, but also the ability to make sure that all of the games were available to all of the fans. And I think what was so critical about the agreement with ESPN and with Turner was that all of the NHL's regular season games were instead of being available on NHL TV or NHL center ice, you could get all of them on ESPN plus this service that a lot of people have, whether it's for additional golf or baseball coverage, um, just the sheer, the UFC is on ESPN plus. I mean, there are so many people that already had that platform and to make those games available uh, to the general public and to get the branding of guys like Scott Van Pelt and all of the sports center hosts to be talking about hockey on a regular basis on ESPN's air. I think all of that was just really critical to growing the league's audience. But I think if we're going to look at any particular point of this TV deal, I think what they realized is that you have to give the people the ability to catch some of the biggest games when Sidney Crosby and Alex Ovechkin are going to go up against each other, for instance, or if Connor McDavid is on an incredible scoring streak and people want to check out his game late game against like Vancouver or Calgary, the ability to do that on ESPN plus and not have to go to a secondary service like NHL TV or NHL center ice was just a huge uh, boost to the league's popularity. And I think the smartest thing they did with this deal. Have you enjoyed the playoffs so far? Oh, heck yeah. The the playoffs have been fantastic. And honestly, I've been bouncing back and forth between the NHL playoffs and the NBA playoffs because, frankly, I mean, watching Cubs games can be uh, slightly (laughs) taxing right now. Um, Kudos to them for winning their last couple of games in very easy fashion. But the, the drama of the NHL playoffs and the fact that we had five series in the first round go the full seven games and we had a Tampa-Toronto series that could have easily been the Eastern Conference final in a regular, you know, in a good season. I think that that drama and the fact that all of these games have been available on these easily accessible cable networks has made this playoff a really intriguing one, a really easy one to watch, and a really fun one to watch. Okay, so here's my thing. It feels a lot like the way that the first round went, the way that we've had incredible scoring outbursts, especially in that Edmonton-Calgary series. We're seeing a lot of goals. It makes for a lot of fun hockey. But there's part of it that makes me feel like the NCAA tournament. Because if I were to look at the brackets, like if you would have came to me beforehand and said, all right, Lawrence, who do you think is going to be in the Stanley Cup final? I would have told you Tampa Bay and Colorado. And there's a chance that that ends up being the the matchup in in the Stanley Cup final. Did we have our fun at the beginning of this thing? And are we going to end up with a little bit more of a chalky final? See, that's a really intriguing question because you look especially at the Western Conference. I personally think that an Edmonton, Colorado Western Conference final would be incredibly entertaining to watch. And yeah, you're going to have a lot of high-octane moments because you've got Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on one side. You've got Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, Gabriel Landeskog on one side. I mean, that's going to be a big, high-scoring series if it ends up coming to pass. I think that we 
I, I, that'd be a really hard series to handicap. So I think that before we kind of get ahead to a Colorado, uh, Tampa Stanley Cup final, I think that that Western Conference final could provide a lot of really good drama and a lot of really interesting hockey because I think both of those teams are capable of adjusting gears here and there. So you never quite know what you're going to get on a nightly basis with that series. As for chalk in the Eastern Conference, I I'm pretty confident in saying that the Lightning will be favored over either the Carolina Hurricanes or the New York Rangers. And it was one of the reasons why I had kind of discussed both on Twitter and on the Blackhawks Talk podcast about whether or not the NHL needs to consider going back to its original one versus eight, two versus seven playoff format. Because a series like Tampa-Toronto should realistically be an Eastern Conference final, not a first-round series. And I really thought that Tampa's hardest series was going to be that first one. And now they've gotten through it. And, oh, no, they may steamroll their way to a third consecutive Stanley Cup, even without a guy like Braden Point in the lineup. Yeah, and, and what they've built down there in Tampa over the last seven years has been pretty incredible, and it's a good thing. It's 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 good to have different types of teams in there. You have a team from America's South uh, out here winning cups pretty regularly. I I don't think that that turns me off. I mean, I I like to see dominant teams, and I like to see who else can come in and and be a challenger to a dominant team. Are there any themes in this year's Stanley Cup playoffs that you've picked up on, or the things that can kind of tell you where the league is going? It's really hard to say that there's a definitive theme or maybe a definitive recipe that kind of shows the direction the league is heading. I know on the, from the perspective of the Blackhawks, they want to create a team that's going to play a very high-tempo brand of hockey, a very high-event brand of hockey. They, of course, want to draft defensemen and guys who can kind of slow that down when they need to muck up the neutral zone, et cetera. But their real key right now is looking for – athletes for fast guys they do want to design a team similar to what say the Edmonton Oilers they put together with Dreisaitl and McDavid Nugent Hopkins Evander Evander Kane etc the Toronto Maple Leafs have kind of done the same thing the Colorado Avalanche have done the same thing that seems to be the direction that the Blackhawks are wanting to go in and I think kind of is indicative of maybe a trend in the NHL But when you reverse that, you look at what the Tampa Bay Lightning were able to do. They were able to slow down Toronto a lot during that playoff series. They they were able to get really incredible goaltending from Andre Vasilevsky as well. They have a team that's built to win in a bunch of different ways. And so I think that there is this notion that high-tempo hockey is the way that you need to put together your team in order to win games. The question that we have to face, though, is whether or not that's going to work not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs. And I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are a fascinating example of how you can kind of counteract that. And I'm beginning to wonder, is high tempo and high tempo only the way to go? Or are the Blackhawks going to have to go for a more balanced approach, which frankly is a lot more difficult to achieve? It's a fascinating narrative. Speaking of which, how crazy is it? that we're seeing Evander Kane, one, play hockey, two, play playoff hockey as well as he has. I mean, he, he scored, I think it was 22 goals during the regular season, and he only played in, I think, 48 or so games. It wasn't a – it's not a huge shock to see him scoring. I think what's surprising is that on a team with, as I said, Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, who, by the way, Connor McDavid is the runaway favorite right now for playoff MVP. He is 
somehow turned his game up to a level that's even above what he does on a regular basis. Which is insane. If you're not watching Connor McDavid on a regular basis, you need to rectify that. That He is one of the most electric players to ever play in the NHL. And the fact that we get to watch him on a nightly basis is just such a – it's a gift, honestly. And I know that sounds really weird coming from a guy who traditionally dogs on the Edmonton Oilers for fun. But, I mean, he – He's so he's so exciting, and it, it just it strikes me that that's kind of where we're at in the NHL nowadays. But yeah, Vander Kane, I I have been very surprised by the amount of productivity he has put up, and the fact that he's already scored you know 11, 12 goals, and just is scoring basically at will in these in this postseason. His story has been one of the most interesting, and I obviously I use that word. It has a lot of different connotations when it comes mm-hmm. to Vander Kane's situation but it's been fascinating watching him just absolutely dominate on a team full of superstars I don't think that many people myself included could have possibly predicted that and and, and what you say about Connor McDavid what's cool about McDavid is you think okay obviously a great player can elevate other players to be their best but you got to be able to skate with Connor McDavid like it, oh it's, it is no easy chore to play alongside that guy because he's lightning fast and extremely skilled. Yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of guys who can kind of find open areas of the ice and kind of exploit weaknesses and defenses and perhaps uh, mask maybe minor deficiencies in their own games. The guy that kind of strikes me as an example of that would be Alex DeBrincat, who obviously is not the biggest guy in the world, but he's always able to kind of find open spots. He's got a really quick shot, a good wrister. He's a guy that kind of makes the most out of what he has and makes his teammates better in a way. But Connor McDavid is just such a super freak of an athlete in terms of how fast he can skate, how well he can pass, how quickly he can shoot. There are no real deficiencies in Connor McDavid's game other than the fact that he's played with the Edmonton Oilers and they have not surrounded him with a defense and goaltending that have been able to kind of get them through the entirety of a playoff grind. And it finally feels like this season they may have their best shot. Now I'm going to be the first one to say they still have Mike Smith and net and hockey fans know any team with Mike Smith and net is kind of playing with fire based on the way that he kind of plays the puck in weird spots and, you know, has random goals scored against him at times. That's always going to be the wild card for Edmonton, but it really does seem like the forward group that they put together around McDavid this season and the defense that they've been able to put around him, Duncan Keith included, this seems to be his best supporting cast that he's had, and yet he still has elevated his game to another level. It's truly incredible. Niveau, it's always a pleasure to speak with you, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate it, man. James Navov, NBC Chicago. He does really great stuff. I love when he's on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. He's also just a really good dude. And we need more of that for sure. Back after this on the score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670, the score in Odyssey Station. A couple days ago, I had a what I called a book fair for my students over at DePaul. They have interest in things, and I wanted to... I kind of went like full Phil Jackson. and was like, oh, this would be a good book for you, and this would be a good book for you. And I really look forward to it. At the end of every quarter that I teach, I get really emotional, and I'm meeting with my students again today 
And I'm sure that I'll be a puddle by the time that the, the class is over because students work really hard. Teaching has been. Let me say it this way. I am the best version of myself when I teach. I like that person. I like the response I get from students. And I think that every one of our students over the last three years is, it's been a Herculean effort by them to get their education. And I'm, I'm very proud of them and you should be very proud of them too, because we've asked them to do things in, in an unprecedented way in unprecedented times. What happened yesterday shook almost all of us. And I think that it it shook people who work in classrooms to the core. And there are a lot of people that are struggling with the idea of going into a classroom this morning or like I'm doing this afternoon or this evening or whenever. And in most cases, those teachers will persist and the students will fight through it as they continue to be asked to do. But don't think as, as you're worried about your children that you send back to class after yesterday that those teachers aren't just as worried about their students and themselves. And what happened yesterday in Texas is another ugly reminder of the dangers that are out there. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this because I'll end up crying on the air as a lot of us have probably done over the last 24 hours. Steve Kerr's anger is my anger, and it should be your anger. I'm not going to talk about basketball. Nothing's uh, happened with our team in the last six hours. We're going to start the same way tonight. Um, any basketball questions uh, don't matter. Um, since we left shoot-around, 14 children were killed 400 miles from here. And a, and a teacher... And in the last 10 days, we've had elderly black people killed in a supermarket in Buffalo. We've had Asian churchgoers killed in Southern California. And now we have children murdered at school. When are we going to do something? I'm tired. I'm, I'm so tired of getting up here and offering condolences to, to the devastated families that are out there. I'm so tired of the, excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm tired of the moments of silence. Enough. There's 50 senators right now who refuse to vote on H.R. 8, which is a background check rule that the House passed a couple years ago. It's been sitting there for two years. And there's a reason they won't vote on it, to hold on to power. So I ask you, Mitch McConnell, I ask all of you senators who refuse to do anything about the violence and school shootings and supermarket shootings, I ask you, are you going to put your own desire for power ahead of the lives of our children and our elderly and our churchgoers? Because that's what it looks like. It's what we do every week. So I'm fed up. I've had enough. We're going to play the game tonight, but I want 
every person here, every person listening to this, to think about your own child or grandchild or mother or father or sister or brother. How would you feel if this happened to you today? We can't get numb to this. We can't sit here and just read about it and go, well, let's have a moment of silence. Yeah, go Dubs, you know. Come on, Mavs, let's go. That's what we're going to do. We're going to go play a basketball game. And, and 50 senators in Washington are going to hold us hostage. Do you realize that 90% of Americans, regardless of political party, want background check, universal background check? 90% of us, we are being held hostage by 50 senators in Washington who refuse to even put it to a vote, despite what we, the American people, want. They won't vote on it because they want to hold on to their own power. It's pathetic. I've had enough.